Hey everyone, welcome back to the Long Lines Podcast. If you're new here, this is a podcast where I answer questions from my YouTube community and talk with other filmmakers about YouTube and just filmmaking in general. So we have a Q&A episode today with some pretty good questions, but first, just a little bit of housekeeping. If you would like to support my channel, support this podcast, you can join me over on Patreon. I've actually been posting more to Patreon recently than I have to my actual YouTube channel, just because there have been some Adobe Premiere nightmares that I've been living through but i'll get to that in a different episode but yeah if you'd like to support me on patreon i post a lot of behind the scenes stuff i do lighting breakdowns i just did a little breakdown of the new camera that i'm using to create my youtube videos i do some tutorials i post some pictures so so yeah there's two tiers there's the two dollar tier which is just basically like a tip jar but you also get access to all of my five dollar lets for free so pretty good value there and then the ten dollar tier is kind of the behind the scenes you get access to all the behind the scenes videos all of the behind the scenes photos and you also get to ask me questions for the podcast and I'll give you a little shout out. So yeah, I'd really appreciate it if you would consider supporting me on Patreon, but as always, no pressure. Real quick shout out to my current patrons, Tiff Tate, the Vagabond Photographer, Alex Miner, Andy Mulcaster, Tony Salium, Will Mon, Dylan Dykes, Greg Gortz, Wyzeretke, Lizzie ASMR, Joe Kimball, James Corbin, Matt Sivis, Liz Gon, Robin Hahn, Sun Valley Drive Music, Todd Campbell, Sean Sebastian, Ivan, Felipe Pedro, and Tapo Mester. Thank you all so much for your support. It really means a lot. And now let's get into the questions, and we do have a few here on Patreon. So the first one comes from Ivan, and Ivan asks, how do you record the ambient sound, footsteps, etc., in outdoor scenes? What mic do you use? Do you record actual sound while you're recording, or do you make a separate sound recording after the shoot? Loving your content. Regards from the Czech Republic. Yeah, thanks for that question, Ivan. So for my outdoor scenes, sometimes I use the scratch audio that comes straight into the camera, and sometimes I'll actually insert ambient audio a good place to get like folly noises, which folly is just kind of sound effects that you're going to be putting in to the video afterwards is I actually use Epidemic Sound. They're not sponsoring this or anything like that, but they do have some decent music. I don't get my music from Epidemic Sound. I actually am an ambassador for Musicbed and Musicbed, in my opinion, just has a completely different tier of music than Epidemic Sound or basically any other music service has. They're like the top tier music. So if you want good music, go to music bed but for decent sound effects epidemic sound actually has some pretty decent sound effects that you can get so i use that a lot but when i do have to record my own sound effects like i've done for like a couple of the coffee videos that i've done is i just take whatever shotgun mic i have at the time so typically my godox vds m2 and my little zoom h1n which is what i'm recording into right now and i just record the sound effects that way i just try to get the mic as close to the source as, as possible and just you know try to get like a really nice clean sound yeah, that's how I do it. Sometimes I'll record sound the same day that I'm actually recording the video, but most of the time it's added in afterwards. So next questions are from Andy Mulcaster, and Andy asks a few. First one is, what lens for Micro Four Thirds would you be looking to purchase slash try out next for your own content? Honestly, there isn't a lot of Micro Four Thirds lenses that like are super jumping out at me that I really want to try. I am going to be getting some Mikey Cinema lenses in to test out, which I'm pretty stoked on. So yeah, I'll be stoked to try those. I think I'm getting in the 8mm T2.9 and the 35mm T1.0 or something like that. So yeah, those ones are going to be pretty sweet to test out. The only other lens that like I'm kind of contemplating getting is like maybe that like a 9mm. But yeah, right now I actually have 
enough lenses to get done everything that I need to get done. Something that I don't think I've mentioned on the podcast yet is that I actually sold my Sigma lenses. So I sold the 16, 30, and 56, and now I have the Panasonic 12 to 35 Mark II. I have the 25 millimeter F17, and I still have my little 14 millimeter pancake. So those three lenses can get done basically everything that I need to get done for YouTube stuff. So yeah. All right. Next question from Andy is on the topic of Micro Four Thirds lenses. How long do you feel the format has left? Should we all be thinking about APS-C or full frame like an S5 instead? Yeah, I mean, I still feel like Micro Four Thirds really isn't going anywhere. I know that Panasonic is going to keep making Micro Four Thirds cameras, and I'm sure Olympus is too, even though, you know, the OM-1 and the new OM-5 haven't really been getting the biggest response from filmmakers. Photographers, especially those Scandinavian photographers, they love those cameras, but filmmakers aren't really using Olympus that much. So, you know, Panasonic is kind of carrying micro four thirds a little bit you could argue that black magic has a little bit of a foothold in there with the pocket 4k and maybe z cam but realistically you're looking at panasonic to release relevant micro four thirds cameras right now whereas with all of the other sensor sizes like aps-c or full frame you can look to you know companies even like nikon for good full frame video cameras with the z9 so yeah it just kind of depends on like if you want to just be relying on you know panasonic to release something really good in the future but honestly i still think that micro four thirds is a perfectly viable option even now in 2023 i'm still going to be using it so yeah hope that answers your question the next question andy has is has the move to olympus from lumix changed your approach to lenses have you noticed an improvement in color space between the two there are certain things about olympus that i like the color space in like i feel like olympus's flat profile is a little bit more I don't know, it's easier to work with than something like Cine D. It doesn't skew the skin tones as much as like Panasonic's Cine D stuff does. But when it comes to like baked in profiles like Cine V or Natural or Portrait, I like those on Panasonic more. When it comes to actual log, OM log 400 kind of sucks, whereas V log is really good as long as you're shooting in 10 bit. So yeah, the EM1 Mark II doesn't shoot in 10 bit. So shooting in flat makes the most sense. But yeah, there's pros and cons to both of them. All right, another question from Andy Mulcaster. Kind of related, my employer is asking me to undertake some video work for them, which is good, but also not my current job role. Do you have any experience or tips to explain how long the process of filming and editing takes to persons who normally would film everything on an iPad and create a photo montage? Yeah, so funny enough, this kind of situation has happened with me before. I used to work for Parks and Recreation when I lived in Portland, Oregon, back when I was, you know, like pretty young, but I was always still doing video stuff. Like I was making skate videos and making some smaller projects on the side. And my boss then, he asked if I could film some 5K like races for the city and like edit them and post them on the Facebook page. So I agreed and I basically just did it by the hour of what I was already being paid, even though that is way underpaid when it comes to video work. So for the first couple of times I did it, I understood that like, okay, like you would have to actually hire me for a different role if you were going to actually be able to pay me what I'm worth. So the first couple of them, I just did them for my normal hourly wage. But once he started asking for more, I was kind of like, okay, well, you're going to have to figure out a way to pay me more to do this stuff because this isn't in my job description and this is not what I got hired to do. Approach it that way. Approach it to your boss like, hey, this isn't what I was hired to do. And if you're going to hire me to do this type of stuff, it's a completely different workload than what I'm currently doing. And it's a completely different skill set. I can make it look really good or 
you can do it by yourself and it'll probably look crappy. But if you want it to look good because I'm helping you, you're going to have to actually pay me what I'm worth. That's kind of how I would approach it. It is kind of hard for bosses to, you know, instantly pay you more than what they used to be paying you. So hopefully that answers your question. All right. And the Next and last question from Andy Mulcaster is when using non-log profiles such as Cine D, would you still remove as much contrast as possible from that profile? I mean, you can, but I don't think that you're actually getting more dynamic range. Like, I don't think you're going to actually see more detail. And if you do, it'll be really muddy and kind of noisy in those shadows. So yeah, I mean, you can if you want just a little bit of extra like wiggle room, but typically where it's set at normally, like for Cine D is going to be what, you know, Panasonic has set it at to give you the most dynamic range for that 8-bit codec. So yeah, every time that I've shot with Cine D, I've kind of just kept it where Panasonic had it to begin with. So yeah, those are all the questions from Patreon. Big thanks to Ivan from the Czech Republic and Andy Mulcaster for those questions. All right, now let's go to the YouTube community page. So the first question is, how do you balance a full-time job with photography and videography as a hobby? Well, I've definitely been there. I've definitely had a full-time job and tried to make photography and videography work. When I was younger, I just kind of was like doing as much of it as I possibly could. It is kind of hard to do it as a hobby and spend so much time and money like for this hobby that you're doing. But realistically, if you really, really enjoy doing it, it shouldn't be that hard to make time for it. I kind of feel like, you know, it's like any other hobby that you have. If you really like biking or running or, you know, in my case, skateboarding, like you make time for those things because you love doing them. And I feel like it shouldn't really matter if you have a full-time job or not, because that's kind of the reality for most people. But if you want to start turning it into a job, that's where it can get a little bit dicey where it's like you're trying to do work that's starting to feel like work because you're doing it for other people on top of doing your normal work so that's where i definitely feel like you can start getting burnt out like i would just say if you have a full-time job and you aren't relying on the money from you know photography and video make sure that whatever projects you take are projects that you're actually stoked on and you're actually going to be proud to put out you know what i mean so like if you're really into shooting portraits and you want to become a portrait photographer on your off time instead of going and you know second shooting for someone who's shooting weddings that you don't really want to start shooting weddings try to get some friends out and start doing portrait sessions or something like that so you can actually start doing stuff that you're stoked on and then maybe you'll actually get hired to do portraits for somebody and then it'll just be like you're having fun on the weekends or whatever instead of like you're working so i hope that makes sense all right so the next question is panasonic will put phase detection autofocus to their micro four thirds as they said they will renew all their lines are you excited for that would you consider switching back to the to a g9 mark ii with phase detect to autofocus and all the new features yeah i totally would consider switching to a like a g9 mark ii or something i could see myself buying one if it was like not insanely expensive and then they had a couple more questions in will you try new systems like the fx30 or something from fuji that would be interesting to see i might try an fx30 i have a buddy now who owns one so maybe i can shoot with it sometime a fuji not so much i feel like they are more of a photography brand than they are are like a cinema brand so that's why i've kind of just been interested in them when it comes to their photography cameras and not necessarily cameras like the hs2 or the xh2s sorry will you ever do a narrative project small short or something like that no i've mentioned this on my podcast before but i don't really like narrative type stuff i like documentaries and you know commercials and whatnot and there could be narrative aspects in both of those but, but when it comes to like my own personal projects like i'm not a writer i'm not going to write a narrative piece if it's somebody else's narrative project that they want me to dp for them then absolutely but I don't ever think that I'll create my own narrative piece and, you know, like work on it in that aspect. 
All right, the next question is, how long have you been skateboarding? And what film projects have you done inside skateboarding? I have been skateboarding for, I think, almost 24 years. I got my first skateboard when I was nine years old, and I just turned 32 in October, so I think that's the math on that. As far as projects that I've worked on inside of skateboarding, I've done work with Pal Peralta. I've assisted in some videos for Revive, like a lot of skate montages and, and you know, like uh, filmed some skate parts for my friends back when I was younger. When I was working with my buddy Darren, who's a slow motion expert, we did a lot of work with skateboarders in LA back in like 2012. So we worked with like, you know, Killian Martin and Chad Barty, eh, a lot of the the Powell Peralta guys. So yeah, I, I don't do as much of that anymore. I would like to get back into the skateboarding world, but one thing about filming skateboarding is that it just doesn't really pay well. So it's kind of hard to like really throw your entire life at it. What setup would you use for a documentary film that is flexible and can run for a long time when recording? Well, I mean, if I was just going to pick anything, then I'd pick something like a C70 and a 24-70 RF lens. That would be perfect for a documentary that's mostly run and gun. Or even something like a Sony FX6, again, with a 24-70 and a nice mic. You could do plenty of documentaries with either of those setups. And then this same person also asks, also, what side jobs can I do to make some money on the side? Well, it really does depend on where you live. I know that there's a lot of ways to make money depending on where you live. You can do Uber Eats and stuff like that, all that gig economy stuff. I have heard that that's getting a little bit less and less enticing for people just because it's not paying as much. But you can look into Fiverr if you have any skills there. You do some like really quick editing jobs. And uh, I mean, something that I did when I was younger and I didn't have a lot of ways to make money is like I would buy and sell things on eBay. So I'd buy them for cheap on Craigslist and then sell them on eBay. And that's how I would make money. So good looking into doing that. If you know what you're doing and you know, you start with like small stuff. So start with a video game that you got for $5 on Craigslist and sell it for 10 or 15 on eBay. And that's how you can just kind of slowly make money. Then you take that $15, buy something for 15, sell it for 30, and then just keep on growing your profit from there. That's what I did when I was younger because I couldn't get a job. And even when I had a job, it just wasn't, you know, making me as much money as I needed to pay all my bills. So, all right, this next question says, hi, Nigel, I want to ask how you are planning your career. I mean, a real career path to follow along. I've been freelancing for two years, mainly shooting little commercial ads and events. And as a film student, I know in my heart that I can do more, but couldn't find a way to work. Occasionally, I shot short films for students, but that don't pay well. And, you know, short films don't sell. Really confused right now. Should I keep doing event and promo, which can easily be replaced? So I'm guessing they mean people that do that can easily be replaced. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I feel like that's a question that I've asked myself over the years where it's like, what do I actually want to do? Like, where can I see myself going? And for the longest time, I was like, man, I could see myself starting my own production company. I could see myself turning to just a educational aspect and just selling courses. There's a lot of things right now that I have in mind to do. But realistically, what I'm trying to do right now is just build up my network of other filmmakers and build my freelance career up to where I can start leveraging my YouTube channel to start doing bigger and more expensive projects. So I really want to start shooting commercials more. I feel like that's kind of where I'm going to naturally be led to. Filmmaking can be a solo thing, but it really does help to have friends and a team behind you to actually get those big bigger and better jobs. So it can be like just little things like assisting or, you know, camera operating for somebody else. And that can actually lead to more and more work because if you're a nice person to work with and you do a good job, you can get more work that way. So 
Yeah, I would just kind of like evaluate like what you actually want to do. Do you want to shoot weddings? Do you want to shoot commercials? Reach out to people in your area that are doing that. See if you can provide any value for them and try to build up your network that way. It definitely is kind of hard when you've already established that you're the event person or you're the nonprofit promotional video type of person. So it is kind of hard to like branch out out of that. But again, if you can start, you know, building that network because then your peers in filmmaking will know that you have interest in working in other aspects of the industry as well. All right, this next question is, if you were given $15,000 budget for a new setup, what would you go with? If someone just gifted me $15,000, I would upgrade my Mac first and get like a Mac display, the Mac studio completely maxed out. And then I'd probably just get like, I don't know, a couple of FX3s with 24 to 70s and some primes or something like that. That's probably more realistically what I would do if I could just spend the money on whatever I wanted. What's your favorite old school Lumix camera and why? I now prefer the G85 myself. Yeah, uh, this one's really easy. My favorite old school Lumix camera is the GH3. Still is probably the best 1080p camera out there. And it's like, for some reason, it's slept on by a lot of like YouTubers. Like I see a lot of people talking about the GH2 still and like the GH1, but it's like everybody just, even Emily from Micro Four Third Nerds, I think that's, I think the GH3 is the one camera she doesn't have. And she has like every Lumix camera, but like the GH3 is so sick. Yeah, I still think it's like the best 1080p image that you can get from a camera from that era. Yeah, GH3 for days. All right, last question for the YouTube community page is, what is your camera recommendation for budget filmmakers looking for an upgrade? I'm gonna guess that your camera might be on the lower end, so maybe you have something like a G7 or something like that. I would upgrade to like a GH5 or a Blackmagic Pocket 4K. You're gonna see huge jumps in image quality differences, just jumping from that 8-bit image to a 10-bit image. So that's what I would go for. All right, now I have a few questions from Instagram. If you're not following me on Instagram, it's just at Nigel Barros, all one word. The first question is, will you switch to full frame or are you afraid of losing the flavor of budget micro four thirds yeah i mean i had a full frame camera i had the original s5 and i loved it but micro four thirds just suits my needs better so that's why i shoot with it i could see myself going back to full frame at some point but right now i like micro four thirds all right next question is any tips on how to gain a client's trust with a small sample of work yeah i mean if you have a small sample of work that you've done for other people i would say just do spec projects so create work yourself that's more of like a passion project and then you'll have a larger body of work i think that will instill a little bit more confidence in whoever's hiring you because you'll have a bigger body of work shows what you're actually capable of you don't have to get paid to do something in order to make something good if you want to make a spec ad for new balance then just go out and do it get some friends get some new balance products make a spec ad for that then you can kind of you know show off how good of work you can make and that'll instill a little bit more confidence in whoever's hiring you all right favorite movie and favorite dp the favorite movie one is the hard one for me because it just depends on what genre we're talking about whether it's comedy action drama adventure but i mean i do like the lord of the Rings series like the original like you know 2001 to 2003 movies i think those are kind of what sparked my filmmaking journey and as far as favorite dps everybody says roger deakins and he's great and everything but i mean going back to lord of the rings i'm gonna have to say andrew lesney andrew lesney i mean like rest in peace he passed away a few years ago but man he is the guy behind the camera for the lord of the rings movies and I feel like he slept on a lot. And he was a great cinematographer. I mean, the Lord of the Rings look amazing. And he was part of the reason to that. So, yeah, Andrew Lesney. But all right, this one's actually in Portuguese. Otamano do censor importa. Vejo que foram na quantidade de que e não textura e definição. 
sorry, my Portuguese is getting rustier and rustier the longer I go without speaking it often. So I think what they're asking is, is the size of the sensor more important or the resolution? I would actually say neither. I don't think your resolution is super important. I don't actually think that the sensor size is that important. But what I do think is important is the color depth and the sensitivity of that sensor. And it doesn't really matter if it's 1080p or if it's 6K. You want to have a really good robust codec that's coming off of your camera and a sensor with good light sensitivity so you're not going to get super grainy shadows and a sensor that can cover a good amount of color detail and have good dynamic range. So I think that's what's most important. Not necessarily the size of the sensor or the resolution size, but color depth, dynamic range, Range and sensor sensitivity. So I'll just respond in Portuguese as well. O importante é a profundidade de cor. O alcance dinâmico é a sensibilidade do sensor. Hopefully that made sense. The scoop in my Portuguese é muito mal. The next question is, how do you stay motivated to keep creating content? I mean, it's pretty easy to stay motivated for me nowadays just because I can create any content that I want. And I mean, I've answered this before on the podcast, but it's just still really fun for me. So it's easy to stay motivated. It's kind of like, I mean, again, with skateboarding, it's easy to stay motivated to keep skating because I just love doing it. Our next question is, can YouTube be the only way you make money or should it be multi-ways besides YouTube? If you're talking like AdSense, yeah, don't think that you're going to make a living off of AdSense. You won't. Unless you're someone like Mr. Beast, you're not making that much money off of AdSense. So for me with like 145,000 subscribers, I only make like a few hundred bucks off of AdSense. It's really not that much. So if you're trying to make a YouTube channel thinking that AdSense is going to be bringing in all your money, then you need to think again. With YouTube, it's basically just using your audience on YouTube as a sales funnel to get them to support you in different ways. So buying from your links, supporting you on Patreon, getting sponsors because of your high subscriber count. Those are the kind of ways that you're actually going to make money off YouTube. And the Google AdSense is just basically like a little bonus at the end of the month. So yeah. All right. So the next question is, hi, I saw your post about switching from Premiere to DaVinci. How do you like it so far? Yeah. So I haven't fully switched over to DaVinci yet, but I've got all of my keyboard hotkeys set to the same thing as Premiere, but there are some weird things about DaVinci that I just haven't figured out yet. Like I haven't figured out all of the audio editing that I was able to do in Premiere very easily. Haven't figured out how to do that in DaVinci yet. There are things like film convert plugins that I don't have in DaVinci and it's just way easier to color grade large batches of stuff with film convert than it is just, you know, trying to do it individually on DaVinci Resolve. You know, there's other little things like warp stabilizer and just a lot of the things that are built into Premiere that DaVinci just doesn't have so it's going to be a slow process but i can cut stuff at least in davinci and that's a good thing in premiere actually they updated again the the program and now it seems to be running like it used to so i don't know if it was all the complaining from all of us premiere users but it seems like they fixed it so hopefully it stays that way all right and the last question is i noticed you've been doing more video projects this year what are some goals that you hope to achieve for your video production yeah so i have been helping a buddy of mine do some spec work and that's been really fun it's been fun to like kind of hone my lighting skills and figure out how to make stuff look the way someone else kind of has envisioned it so that's been really fun to kind of like practice my technique. My goal for video production this year is just to do more freelance work and build up my portfolio a little bit more. I am actually planning on moving again in the summer, which I'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's I think it's going to be important for me to, you know, continue doing freelance stuff just because in the future I know that I'm going to have kids and whatnot and I don't really want to be relying on YouTube as like my only source of income even though I have like, you know, 6 or 7 
seven actual streams of income, they're all based on the fact that I have a YouTube audience and I just don't want my entire livelihood to be dependent on that. So I want to be able to do freelance work and bring in money so that, you know, when I do have kids, my wife isn't going to have to work or anything like that. So that's my main goal is just to be the sole provider for my family. I'm going to be doing that by way of going back into freelance work. Not because YouTube hasn't been providing for me, which it has, but I just, I want and I'm going to need more. So yeah, that is all I have for this episode of the Long Lens Podcast. Be sure to tune in next week because I have another special guest hopping on the podcast and talking with me. So yeah, and then at the end of this month, I'm going to be doing another News with Nigel segment. So stay tuned for that. But yeah, thanks so much for all the questions. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you all next time. Later. (laughs) 